Well, I want to welcome everybody once again. Today's title is Nutrient Management with Cover Crops. How much fertilizer can I reduce? And there is quite a bit of talk and uh, chatter, I guess, out there. Once you get into cover crops, you hear about farmers and maybe some researchers who say that you can reduce your rates of fertility. A lot of times we're talking about nitrogen, uh, but even in other uh, nutrients as well. And the degree to how much you can reduce has many variables, which I'm going to share today. And uh, you kind of hear some extremes of, well, you really can't reduce any applied nutrients to, you can reduce them to nothing. Uh, you don't need any other nutrients. And I would have to say, probably both those extremes could be right in different situations, but usually for the most of us, there's some middle ground there somewhere. So I like to use uh, a graphic that that is very helpful in recognizing how this all works, particularly with nutrient capture. And just use the illustration here of a radish, how we plant it late summer, early fall. It takes up nutrients and stores them in a tuber and in the foliage. Winter kills in uh, areas primarily north of I-70 and a little bit south in that, that, uh, that kind of latitude in north. And then in the spring, it releases those nutrients back into the soil. So particularly there, we're capturing leachable nutrients, uh, mainly nitrogen and somewhat sulfur uh, is what we're looking at in, that, in this era, diagram. So that's kind of in the context of our topic today of nutrient uh, capture. We're saving them. We're keeping them from leaving the soil. Uh, the other aspect that cover crops bring is the legumes that are able to create nitrogen. And they take it from the air and put it into the soil. And I wanted to show you this picture here. I just took this picture this morning. And this is this the, the main field was a field of oilseed rape that I harvested about five weeks ago. And then I planted sorghum sudan and sun hemp there. I'm going to take that one cutting of forage and then leave the regrowth as my cover crop. That's the background. Now, when you see this picture, you can see there's kind of a modeling effect of darker green versus lighter green. What I didn't tell you was in my oilseed rape crop, I had a very significant amount of hairy vetch that I call legacy vetch or, or hard seeded hairy vetch that did not come up previous years when I planted it. When I planted my oil seed rape, the vetch this spring came up and I wasn't able to control the hairy vetch. There just isn't a herbicide to do that. So I saw what was happening and I also knew that the seeds of hairy vetch are, are quite a bit larger than, than oilseed rapeseed, probably three to four times larger. So I thought this may not be a problem. I can probably harvest it all together and separate it. And uh, actually that's indeed what we did. We harvested, the, the, my cash crop is oilseed rape. I had this volunteer hairy vetch grow up, which turned out 
I'm going to sell. That's now a cash crop for me. So I'm able to sell that. And what you're seeing there is the where the Harry Vetch was. And unfortunately, I didn't know this was actually going to take place, but I can tell you because I knew I should have took a picture before when the Harry Vetch was there. What you can see, though, is the Harry Vetch produced nitrogen that now particularly that Sorghum Sudan is utilizing. And I know that we all know that legumes make nitrogen, but and we've seen test spots probably and so forth. But I just thought this was a cool, um, just a picture here of what the effect of a legume can indeed be. So um, just kind of verifying that it indeed does happen. So I uh, want to kind of remind you too, if you've been with us for the last uh, two or three months, I spoke about a very similar topic. How much fertilizer can I save by using cover crops? But I wanted to let you know that this is like part two today. So if you want to go back in the webinars, back into, I believe it was in April, there's another topic that is similar. There are a few pictures that are the same, but this is uh, a kind of an addition to that topic. So just uh, you can go back and look at that if you care to. So when we look at what cover crops can do in the context of nutrient credits, uh, across the top you have the uh, popular cover crops listed, and I kind of want to highlight here some of the leachable ones, which we know is nitrogen, sulfur, and it could add boron there, but it's not on this list. What we did a couple years ago is we tested different cover crops that were planted in the fall, and we did a tissue analysis. And I'm not going to go into all the specifics here because it's more about trying to make a point by what cover crops can do. You could do this exact same trial on your own farm, and I promise you it would look different. Uh, clearly not exact, but probably similar in the types of nutrients that are picked up. So I'll just uh, kind of crack the code for you along the bottom there. You can figure some of those cover crops out. The blue bar is annual ryegrass. Light green is Austrian winter peas. Hairy vetch is the orange bar. Oats is black. Triticale is purple. And uh, TR stands for tillage radish in this case. That's the red bar. Now, while we're on that, you can see how well the radish does in collecting nutrients. And I think that's why radishes have gained such popularity in their ability to do this because of the uh, the deep rooting action. They can be down there. They can grab root, get roots. They're just very effective at that. Um, so just looking across here, you can see values. We assigned values then to what those cover crops picked up. Now the ones, I, the, the, the dollar values that I just highlighted there with the oval, that represents the average dollar value of the particular nutrients of those several different cover crops in each block. So as you look across there, we know we're getting some value there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is a net gain the next year. It just means that's the value of what they took up. Uh, but it does mean is it's certainly by using cover crops, we were able to keep and hold some of these nutrients, particularly the leachable ones, nitrogen, sulfur, 
that's what we're looking at the most here. Now, the other thing that we know with cover crops is they can make nutrients more available, not just keep them and not just make them as legumes do, but they keep they make them more available. And that's kind of tied into the bio, biology effect. And I talk a lot more about the biological effect in the other topic that's similar. So go back and listen to that when you have a chance. I'm not going to talk about that a lot today. So just what we can take from this slide here is we know that cover crops can take up nutrients. And it I'm I'm just going to reiterate here. I don't want to read a whole lot into this other than we know they can accomplish it because at the end of the day, it's really what works on your farm. And I feel that some of the cover crop proponents out there sometimes oversell this idea uh, because uh, it's, it's, it really has to uh, work on your farm. And uh, obviously, I mean, I have done enough to know that some situations you'll see a greater effect than others. And again, it comes back to the variability that's out there. There are so many things that it's difficult to make ironclad statements across the board. So uh, I hope that helps us understand when we see and hear other people's ideas and perspective on this. Yes, cover crops can help reduce applied nutrients. How much? is the big question mark, and that's really going to vary. Well, let's back up a little bit. Uh, some of my experience, I really got onto this in 2011. I planted this mix that you see here on the left, and there is the list of the products I planted. This was after wheat, so I had plenty of time to plant some of these summer annuals that you see listed there, and they grew very nicely, as you can see in the picture. Uh, you can see that was in the fall. Look at the colors of the leaves in the background, which uh, living here in Pennsylvania, we always have a fantastic fall usually and uh, with the leaf color. But when I, okay, I, I crafted this mix specifically knowing we're going to plant corn the following year. So it's weighted pretty heavily to legume type producing cover crops. I wanted to make nitrogen. And when we planted the corn next year, we got a very positive result. And those of you who heard my topic last week, when I do research, I, I want to have good research. I want to have three replications field length. Now, I want to give a full disclaimer here. In this test here, it was only two replications, but it was field length. So just putting that out there. Um, so from a scientific basis, I can't say this is a solid science effort, but it sure told me something, the effect of a strong cover crop. So there you look across the bottom, zero applied units of N. We always want to control to see what we're working with. 190 bushel corn. Um, just so you know, in my farm, this is pretty much for this field would be very close to an average yield. My whole farm average is a little less than this, but this happened to be one of my better fields. That's important for you to know because when we're, uh, <clears throat> when we're looking at cover crops, again, as I said, there's so many variables go into it. This was a good field, but typically I would have put 120 pounds of N on. And you go over there to the right side 
anything over 60 did me no good in this thing, in this experiment. So I learned from there that when I have a situation where I can get a good cover crop planted, a good mix, a nitrogen producing cover crop, I can probably reduce my nitrogen down to 40, 60 or so units of N. And since 2011, I have indeed done this uh, multiple times, but not every field. When I have a very late planting in the fall, like of cereal rye or triticale, and that's all it is, I can't do this because the triticale does not give back that much nitrogen. Um, I, I can't save very much nitrogen when I have triticale. But the point is, that was my only option if I can't wait to plant a cover crop till the end of October. So I just want to lay out the opportunities here that you have in doing this. So obviously, if you can manage in a way that sets you up for a good cover crop, you can do really well. Uh, and that sometimes, for especially for the corn bean growers, it's a struggle to consider adding a small grain to get a cover crop that can really make a difference. Uh, one of the topics I do want to talk about in the future coming up here is a, the case for planting uh, planting uh, a small grain in a corn soybean rotation to try to work the numbers to show how that can pay. So look for that uh, coming up in the future. Uh, this next picture is, is a different situation. And uh, again, this was a multi-species here. This uh, is about V7. Uh, no nitrogen applied up until this moment. This again was not a test. This was just a field that I had that I felt I could do this. I've transferred my knowledge to field scale. Uh, and this was a couple of years ago. You can kind of see there's some radish carcasses in there and there were some legumes involved with that. But I also uh, plant some grass type species so my soil stays covered. I want my soil covered year round uh, to be able to keep the biological life protected in the soil and so forth. So in this case here, I uh, would have went in at this point with about 100 pounds of nitrogen to grow this crop because I knew with the, with the cover crop I had, I had an early spurt of nitrogen, but I needed to grow this crop out. That being saved, said, I saved about 75 pounds with the cover crop, and that is uh, money in the bank, as they say. Now, some of you may have seen this slide before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this time, but it again shows you some of the value that cover crops bring for nutrients. If, you, if we look from the top there, top down, 45 pounds of nitrogen was applied at planting. Again, this was a high fertility field, one of my higher fertility, long-term no-till, just a good field. I put 45 pounds on at planting because I didn't want, I wanted to put enough on that I could, uh, you know, have something to work with, but I didn't want to put a lot on because I wanted to see the effect of the cover crop. Now, let's look at those three different charts there. The red line is actually demonstrates the control, which was no cover. So if you look across there where we had no cover, and again, all 45 pounds of nitrogen applied, with the exception of cereal rye in this case, every single cover crop species there 
out yielded the no cover plot. And this kind of proves my point that I said backing up because uh, if you look at the bottom there, the purple's triticale, cereal rye is dark blue, annual ryegrass is light blue, tillage radish is green, oats is uh, reddish. So what that's saying is if I'm planting a, a triticale or a cereal rye, I need to add more nitrogen because it takes up a lot of that nitrogen just to grow. And then uh, the bugs and the critters, when they break that down, because it's a high C to N ratio crop. So when we're using mixes that have that are more uh, slanted toward high carbon and nitrogen ratios, you're not going to be able to reduce your nitrogen in corn as much. Now the cool thing is in soybeans, it's almost the opposite effect. Soybeans make their own nitrogen, and when you plant soybeans in the cereal and triticale, they just explode. Uh, it's hard to screw up. So this is part of learning how to manage nutrients uh, when we're applying them. But then look at, uh, you know, annual ryegrass shows good. Of course, the radish shows really good, which is common to my experience over the last uh, 15 years in researching them. Oats shows really good. Um, so my point here is the you got to know what species you're working with. And it really does, again, come down to what works in your farm. Uh, just a note there in the bottom, you'll see the average yields of all the covers in each plot were thrown together based on planting date. So on the left-hand side was planted in uh, August the 18th. So this would have been after, after uh, wheat situation. All three of these plots were the same field. So they're all after wheat, but we delayed planting for the middle one, September the 5th. And then October the 3rd was the last one. And there you can see the effect of planning date. Every day matters. One day in September is worth seven to 10 days in October. So there's a lot of good information chalked in this data right here. And uh, when you can really manage this well, that's when we can start seeing some of the benefits. Next slide is of a uh, field that I have. I took this picture this morning. I've uh, referenced this field from time to time. This was pretty much a, a radish crimson clover uh, crop that I had, uh, cover crop that I planted last fall and had a really good stand. Went in and we uh, sprayed uh, $7 worth of burned down herbicide. And this actually is 15-inch corn. It's for corn silage. So the planter pretty much smashed it down enough. I didn't have to roll it. But the key here is no residual herbicide. Now, you can't really see down in there. And I will tell you, there are a few weeds in this field. Um, there are a few, but I'm willing to live with them. And this is kind of an experiment for me here. But the other thing is, I only applied 80 pounds of actual N at V4. So again, by the use of pre predominantly, well, of course, the radish helped save some nitrogen in the fall, and then that crimson clover grew it. The field's looking good. Um, if you look down to the far left side there, you can see a little yellowing maybe along the edge. Um, it'll, we'll see. This is not a test field. I am... I have done enough testing that I'm comfortable farming this way. 
And I just kind of my point here, I've done a lot of testing so that I can actually apply this to my farm. So just wanted to show you some of the reality of what I'm doing. So let's get back into trying to put some data to this. And we know that some cover crops like annual ryegrass and the radishes, those two in particular really root deep. And on the right side, you can see a root there that we found off a radish that was six feet, two inches deep on my shaly, rocky type soils, which you can see there how my subsoil uh, looks. So we know they can get down there deep. We know there's nutrients down there. We never really test them that deep, or we haven't in the past, I should say. Uh, right now, the University of Maryland is finishing up a three-year study of taking really deep soil cores on multiple types of cover crops. And uh, when I say deep, we're talking seven feet deep and looking at the nutrient cycle that occurs. And to do that, they're taking these tests. And you can see on the right side, that's a soil test right there. They divide up the chunks there. Uh, this is kind of how it came out of the, the core uh, soil tester. They divide it up then every four inches and they test every four inch segment of seven feet three times a year in four different types of cover crops or mixes and a control. So basically what we're trying to do is better understand nutrient cycling in the context of deep rooted cover crops. And on the little chart on the left, you can kind of see an analogy of, or actually the actual real data, what we see there the red line was a radish, and this is looking at nitrate. And this was some of the preliminary testing here before they went and did this major test. So they had tested each six inches, and the black line goes over there to the right, and that shows you the high nitrates that were down in that two-foot range, which is getting pretty deep. But by planting a cover crop, in this case of radish, we were able to clean that soil up and put it at the top. Notice how at the top there, you see it kind of goes over where there's higher concentration of nitrates. So I'm really excited and looking forward to what this may turn out to be here and helping to better understand nutrient cycling with using cover crops. I, I know it's going to take years to get some of this stuff figured out, but with the technology we have today, I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing how we can better use this use cover crops in the context of nutrient cycling. One other thing I need to mention, and uh, well, I see uh, Dan asked the question here, when I terminated that crimson clover back there. Uh, crimson, the, the crimson clover was terminated at, I would say, about mid-bloom. The field was beautiful, uh, beautiful crimson clover. I mean, it's just nothing like a crimson clover field. Uh, when I planted that day, one of my neighbors texted me, happens to be a farmer who does not use cover crops. He texted me, he said, what'd you do to that pretty field? So I kind of thought that was kind of uh, interesting that the neighbors certainly are watching. Uh, but um, so that was killed mid bloom. So we had maximum nitrogen production. Uh, by the way, it's my understanding that most legumes, maximum nitrogen production occurs around first flower. So after first flower, 
you can start to lose a little bit because the C to N ratio increases even in the legumes to the point it may not release it quite as fast, particularly in the stem biomass on top of the ground. So a little FYI there. So you see here I have the slide about the mycorrhizal effect. And that also, it's kind of tucked in the, my, my point of the biological effect. And we know that mycorrhizal has a strong correlation, particularly taking phosphorus out of the soil and into the roots of plants. And by having living roots, by having cover crops growing in our system, in, our, in the context of our year-round cropping rotation, we can increase, we can encourage mycorrhizal fungi. And that there is an indirect, or maybe you could say a direct uh, help in uh, breaking loose or making more available the nutrients that are ready in the soil. This is the topic I'm going to I'm I'm uh, I'm going to tackle myself or maybe get a guest speaker to tackle this at some point in the future because this whole this whole topic right here merits a whole webinar by itself. Um, so um, just want to kind of wrap it up here. And uh, if you have any questions, you can type them in, or I'm going to open them, open the microphones up here soon. But just to kind of pull everything, what we learned today, how much, what are the factors that can help reduce fertilizer use on my farm? And I put up there top uh, diversity, 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 and that means both the cash crop rotation. I'm just going to say as much as possible in that I fully understand constraints, but I want to challenge you to start thinking outside the box. Can you potentially get a small grain into your rotation? If you want to reap some of these benefits, I'm telling you, you're going to have to get more than a two crop rotation. Um, the other thing is use mixed species of cover crops. Um, you just seem to get better bang for your buck when you start mixing cover crops together. It doesn't have to be a 12 way mix, uh, but that three made four five six way mix seems to be a good kind of a a sweet spot for maximizing what you get out of the diversity of cover crops and then having living roots year round if possible of course i know that in northern areas of the country it goes dormant because it freezes but the point is having living roots in the ground all year around uh, and then keep the soil covered the soil needs a roof over its head. Uh, the critters in the soil are just like us as people. They want to be kept warm. They want to be kept uh, cool. And cover crops can help. Keeping the soil covered can help mitigate temperature extremes. Then the other thing, another factor that I think is very important to bring up here is the longer you're into a cover cropping system, the more nutrient applied nutrients you'll be able to reduce um, and and as far as what is the timing in that well that really varies uh, you could have two or three great cover cropping years back to back and it was really great you could be in um, the high plains and it's just dry you're in a drought for a long time you never really got a good cover crop going it may take some time or you may hit it right uh, so there's no exact length of time. It's just that the longer you're in the system, the better off you'll be. So what do we learn here? Well, <clears throat> kind of recapping here, like what I just said, 
about uh, the longer you're in a system. I like to I like this statement. I feel I can back it up, but uh, cover crops make fertilizer more efficient. And to me, that's where it comes down to. As far as how much more efficient, it's going to be highly variable. And then how much fertilizer you can save is directly related to all those variables. So that's the reason why I can't give out recipes per se that's going to say, if you do this, you'll get that. It really comes down to what you do on your farm. So where do you go from here? I'm suggesting do your own replicated strip checks with varying fertilizer rates. Uh, not too hard to do. We got, you know, GPS, RTK, yield monitors in our planters. If you can have some wide enough replicated strips, it can at least start showing you what is working on your farm. To me, this may be the most important thing that, that I am sharing today you're going to have to do your own replicated strip checks. Now, for those of you who are training others, teaching others, help a farmer to do this. Um, a little bit of help can go a long way uh, to make sure you do it right. Just for the fact, if you go out there when they're planting, to stick flags in the ground and keep track of them and watch them throughout the year. And then at harvest time, farmers do not want to be slowed down at harvest. If you can be there, make sure they win the right rows. And just to be there to help them for that, that will be golden. And then the information you get out of there, you can then share with many other people. So uh, that's pretty much, um, you know, what I have to share on that. So I see that uh, Luis is asking, do you use any soil tests to adjust cash crop fertilization after the cover crop? Well, uh, that's a great question. And sometimes there's not a lot of time to react. I have done quite a bit of that in the past. And I think that's good to get a baseline of where you're at. Because obviously, if you're extremely short in a certain nutrient, it certainly pays you to, to add that and get it get it in your fertility program so that even your cover crops can maybe grow better. Um, so um, I do soil test. Uh, I happen just to test uh, my fields every three years. And about every, I'm going to say about every nine years or so, I'm actually testing um, uh, zero to two, two to four, and four to eight, just to kind of keep track of what's going on in the top part of my soil um, so so I do I do do soil tests but not every year I'm getting comfortable enough with my experience and what I'm doing certainly is uh, recommended so uh, thanks a lot uh, for, for that question I uh, I'm just gonna briefly uh, show you next week we might have an interesting webinar for some of you, climate change and cover crops. What is the cover crops coach's perspective? And I know this is a hot topic and it could be controversial. The controversy usually comes what causes climate change. But where we all can agree on is that cover crops no tillage 
definitely is good for the earth. So uh going to kind of launch from that perspective, but I'll weigh in some of my feelings on it, on the whole issue and everything. Um, so anyway, I'm just going to, um, I guess, back up here a little bit and um, ask, I'm going to open up everyone's, everyone's microphone here. So if you want to unmute yourself and uh, ask any questions that you have, I got the lines open, but uh, you'll have to unmute yourself. Let's keep our questions here to nutrient, uh, the topics today, nutrient reduction. And then after a couple minutes, we'll switch over to any cover crop questions. So um, uh, who has, a, who has a, a question about nutrients and, and cover crops? Steve, this is Dan. Yes, Dan. Uh, you kind of inferred on there where you looked at the timing of planting the cover crop mm -hmm. and how much the improved nutrient efficiency, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I was a little surprised. I think you had October 3rd was the latest planting. Yep. And it was down, but it still did very good. Yes. Um, was that year typical? I mean, I, I just, I just, that seems pretty late. Yes, uh, and for some of those covers. right, and uh, thanks for bringing that up. Um, to answer your question directly, I would have to say on my farm, I'm not sure if I want to say it's typical, but it's not uncommon. Uh, I have tested later planting cover crops and have almost routinely been pleasantly surprised at what they did for subsequent yields the following year, and I got accused. Um, from time to time of trying when I was in the seed business of trying to sell seed by by just saying to people, you know, if you want to try a cover crop late, uh, you know, I would I would say that you're on your own, but you you might be you might get it more of a benefit than you think. And so yes, I have I can show several studies that that, that show that that there was a, a benefit to a later planted cover crop. And I I personally think without being a scientist on this that just the biological effect of having something growing in the soil, even though it's relatively small, was um, was very good. So every week, but was that magnified by the fact that you were doing it on what I would call a mature system versus uh, doing it on a field that's relatively new to covers? Well, that's very plausible. Uh, I would I would have no trouble believing that, but I've never tested kind of a new situation with uh, late planted cover crops. I really I really wish more people would do that because um, I just think there's something there's some value there that there that that again, I understand the cost of seed and everything putting it in and no there's probably don't get as much out of it. But again, it comes back to doing your own strips uh and and trying that. Uh and what works on on your farm. But but I think this is part of the a grower tries it new, he sees, oh, these fantastic results, and then he's disappointed. Well, it's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's where he's at in the system where mm -hmm. his soils are, and yeah. again, back to it, it, it depends. Every <laughs> every field is different. Yep, yep. That's a good point. Uh, other people have questions on the nutrient availability and nutrient application on cover crops. See, there's some other people unmuted. Um, I don't know if you're getting ready to ask, but go for it. 
do you find benefit of adding the legumes in this rotation? If um, Do you find that benefit of the nitrogen if the cover crop is terminated before flowering? How much benefit do you see there depending on that timing of termination? Well, uh, that's another good question. Uh, backing up from maximum benefit of being first flowers, um, it's obviously your benefit's going to decrease. Uh, where that line is, is is subjective sometimes because there's a couple variables go into that. And one of them is if it's dry and there's no rain in sight, uh, you're going to want to terminate that cover crop earlier. So you won't be able to take advantage of additional legume nitrogen uh, or nitrogen capture and put into your soil. Uh, I, I think it starts always in the fall, though, too, uh, trying to get your cover crop in on time because there can be a subsequent relationship to planting date in the fall versus maturity in the spring. It's not like one for one. Like if you get your cover crop planted two weeks earlier in the fall, it may be five days earlier the next spring. But every every little day counts. Um, so uh, just being able to manage, though, for your legumes, that maybe that's the last fields that you plant. And these are just little subtle things that can add up to success. And, and I know how it is. Sometimes the weather is perfect and you just want to plant and, and to get it in the ground. That has to be every farmer needs to kind of make that decision. And that could go either way. So to, to answer your question, if you're, and again, it comes back to what are you trying to accomplish? If you're trying to accomplish maximum nitrogen, uh, by a legume, you let it grow as long as possible, but then you back off from that, depending on any other variables that are going to affect that decision. Excellent question. Yeah, I have a question about um, how fast have you seen some of these systems mature, uh, taking a soil that's completely depleted and then yeah. uh, getting it to a mature system? Yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen some soils change uh, on the first year that you can notice a difference. Uh, and again, it depends on the intensity, it depends on the region of the country. Sometimes, uh, you know, the further the further south you are, the longer growing season, the biology biology is active longer, and sometimes you got really got to be really intentional to, to make a change that's noticeable. Um, so it does. I I say the rule of thumb is. Uh, it's going to take you three to five years before you can you can do a whole lot of uh, nutrient reduction aside from the nitrogen component with cover crops. If you use a legume cover crop like a hairy vetch, like a crimson clover, the very first year, you can indeed reduce nitrogen rates the following year if you're going into corn. No doubt about it. Uh, but you'll get you'll get that'll get better with time. And so uh, I've been no-tilling uh, some of my fields for 35 years and they haven't topped out yet. Organic matter continues to increase at a very trendy 0.1 tenth of a percent a year. Uh, it's just almost the trend line is just continuing to go up. Uh, so I, I would say that you, you have that first bump probably in that three to five years and maybe, uh, again, it depends on your management and so forth. So take some time, depends on your soil, depends on the given weather. Uh, like I alluded to earlier, if weather is favorable, things can, can happen quickly. 
with cover crops or can be delayed if weather's not as favorable during the cover crop growing season. And that is nothing different than the way our cash crops are. Some years we have bountiful cash crops, other years we don't. Same thing will occur with cover crops. So I noticed uh, Luis has another question. Do you change your cover crop mix every year? Well, Luis, not strategically, um, but uh, but I always change something, um, and it depends on a lot of things. Again, uh, some of it simply is what seeds are the most economical. The price of seeds go up and down. Uh, if I have some leftover seed, I really want to use it up. So, uh, but aside from some of those uh, variables. I would say that I probably have never planted the exact same mix uh, from from year to year. I'm in the five, four to six, I should say, mixes of species where I kind of like uh, to be. Uh, so I, I will vary those, those. I will tweak them every year. It seems like almost every cover cropper that's that's into this for a couple years, most of them will will. Um, uh, change something or tweak something from year to year. It just seems to be, I, I think part of it is you hear different uh, pe people talk about different things they like and, well, you naturally want to try it. There might be something there. Plus, it's a fun part of cover cropping. Uh, it's not boring. <laughs> you can make some subtle changes that uh, can affect, uh, you know, the whole success of it. And that's that's that challenge for me, I fully embrace. I know for some people that gets a little bit scary, but um, so is there any more questions on nutrients or we'll go, we'll open it up to any, any conversation uh, about cover crops.